Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine, LD at Large. I'm here today with my longtime friend, Brian Hartley. He is production and lighting designer with such clients as TSO, Judas Priest, and Megadeth. How's it going today, Brian? What's going on, buddy? It's, uh, it's all good as can be expected. And uh, it's a beautiful day here in Las Vegas, and today we'll hit 90 degrees. Gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Brian and I used to hang out. I lived in Vegas for about 20 years. He used to come visit me at the joint every once in a while. Uh, nowadays, I live up in Windsor, Ontario, so we don't get to visit quite as often. And now with all the travel restrictions, I don't see us getting to hang out any time in the near well, the immediate right. future. You're locked out of our country, aren't you? No. See, I have an American passport. I think I can get in. In fact, later this year, I have a job at Wynn, and we're kind of looking over all the logistics of me getting to the wind they're letting people essential workers and stuff like that through you know what i mean especially when they're close to the border people are coming back and working on the other side of the border so it's funny you bring that up that's actually an article that i'm working on about how art is essential and how how i'm gonna have to try and convince a border guard that as a lighting designer i'm an essential frontline worker we'll see if i can we'll see if Uh, my uh, my bullshit skills can pull that off yeah there you go I have an American passport. I should be able to get through the border, but at the same time, the question is, do I want to? Do I need well, to? I, I think if you're an American citizen, I think you can get back in, always. I, I, think I like to think uh, so. I, li- I think that's the, that's the thing. Uh, or at least when they were doing the, the travel ban at the beginning, people with them from America could still come home. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll have to become an illegal immigrant into my own country. I'm not <laughs> well, sure. Well, if you're illegal, we'll, you get in easy. You know, you just we'll, run we'll see what happens. Here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how I have to get there. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll have to use you as my as my voucher. I'm like, well, Brian Hartley will vouch for me. Come on back down to Vegas. Uh, some of the times when I'm crossing the border, they'll ask me, "What am I? What am I going back to the U.S. for?" And I'll tell them, "Oh, I'm going to work." I'm like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I, I work for Fleetwood Mac. And then yeah, after that, there's just, there's no more questions about my, who I am or what I'm doing. There's just lots of questions about how Stevie Nicks is and yeah. what, uh, what it's like to hang out with Lindsey Buckingham. And then they're like, ah, go ahead. You get on in here. You see that uh, uh, Stevie Nicks pictures going around uh, with the OB shirt on. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah, that's yeah, a that classic. Yeah. yeah. That's a real photo. That's a, that's a classic, man. She, she uh she well, enjoyed that got photo put out there they were going like oh cool t-shirt don't really know who the person is but uh or something like that and then they go oh it's stevie nicks and then they found other mm-hmm. photos from maybe that day or something that had her up there that was- yeah she's uh she's a beautiful woman she looks great in that shirt 
So I wanted to reach out to you today because you are probably having a, a tougher transition than most. You go from TSO, which is nonstop, 24-7 working, to just sitting at home, twiddling your thumbs. I, I want to know how that's going for you. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's about the same for everybody. I mean, I, I think the whole world is, uh, is about in the same position. And, uh, well, to be honest with you, the, the, the funny thing about it is I, I just did a Megadeth tour. We had one show in Mexico on March 15th, right? And that got canceled about a week before the gig, right? And then that was the last gig. And then after that, I wasn't starting to Judas Priest until, uh, uh, until like May. Right. So I had a couple months off regardless that I was planning on. Right. And so it kind of plays into that. I did have that one show with Megadeth uh, cancel on us. And uh, so uh, that did affect me. But yeah. And now I feel like, you know, uh, we're still waiting to see what happens with Judas Priest. You know, they, uh, they, they we still got a summer tour book, but I see some of the festivals getting uh, uh, postponed till next year. So uh I'll wait to see uh, what happens there, but uh, I don't see much happening in the summertime, to be honest with you. So that puts me, basically, my next thing will be TSO in okay. October. So, you know, that's something that, uh, believe me, everybody uh, uh, everybody has, like, we all have our fingers crossed, you know. It's kind of so far away. You know, I feel like, oh, you know, anything could happen. You know what I mean? Uh, it could, it could definitely, uh, it could get us 50, 50 at this point, I think, you know, mm -hmm. you know, so, but, uh, hopefully I got my fingers crossed, man. It'd be great if we do do it, if we don't, you know, and if TSO isn't touring in like October, November, right. Or November, December, whatever. I guarantee you probably nobody is. TSR is a juggernaut that, you know, sells a mm -hmm. lot of tickets every year consistently that where, you know, the promoters can actually count on it. That's a tradition for a lot of families too. They, you know, that's absolutely. what they do for their Christmas time. You know, and we've been at it. This will be our 22nd year. Oh, wow. Is that crazy? So, yeah, this will be the 22nd year. Uh, so, uh, and it's been amazing. I mean, it really has been amazing uh, for 22 years that this thing is, uh, you know, uh, you know, our leader, Paul O'Neill, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, he passed away like three years ago. He's the one that's really got this thing. You know, he was the, he was the freaky, crazy, mad scientist guy that was C, uh, ACLs. And he would go, oh, Brian, that looks, that looks great. That's fucking God. Fucking double it, double it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was just always that kind of guy. And uh, even there was way one point in our early years, we're going from year to year. I'd come in there. I guess I told him, I said, Paul, I got a great idea for the pyro this year. He was all oh, great, great. Cause he loves pyro. What is it? What is it? I said, we're going to double it. And he's going like, that is fucking brilliant. <laughs> 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 just simple stuff like that because uh uh our guy paul he was like man he just he wasn't like the guy coming up with the music and the band guy leader and all that stuff i i truly believe he would be right there doing the lights because you know he he was drawn to the lights and everything and i knew him i knew him probably 15 years before we even started with the tso or maybe about 10 you know about 15 years yeah i, I first met him in 85 when I worked with him in 85, 
he was that same guy that he was all the way up until he died. Right. You know, he was he, back then he was going, Brian, I want to get, I want to make a castle. Let's get, let's get pieces of plywood and I want to cut a hole in it and I want to put a piece of gel and I want to put a light behind it. And I want, I want, you know, I wanted that to be our set, you know? So even from early on, you know, he was very passionate about, about the show. And, uh, and like I said, if he wasn't the producer and all that stuff, he probably would have been running the lights. <laughs> There's no such thing as he less. Loved, he loved it that much, you know. More is more, apparently, for that. Uh, for Paul, uh, you know what? Yes, and he would come up with crazy stuff because I want, you know, I want the fire to to come all the way down to the stage, and the guys just step back just as they just step back right in the nick of time, and then this ball goes right past them. We're going like, uh, no, Paul, we we can't do that. But then I did come up with a uh, a clock that went from side to side that was on fire that had video on the face of it that was freaking awesome <laughs> what a, an ordeal that must be to just kind of is there any sort of reining him in at all or is it just everything is yes 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 double well, it triple you know, it whatever you need you know what when yeah when he was alive you know what that's what that's what made it so amazing then you know uh now it's a little different you know because there's not paul there it's like paul would come in and go like i love that and i was going well look at these little lights here i said these are kind of cool he goes oh fuck yeah he goes just put them all the way around you know everywhere whatever you know he was just that passionate and it was his money you know what i mean it's his money you give a fuck you know he goes uh he goes oh well, i want this thing out front i want uh i want fire out here or whatever okay oh, well that's going to cost uh, i don't even care what it costs but you know this is what i want i want this you know and uh, uh and we had a great relationship because you know i was i was the designer and uh and he just wants more and more and uh uh the accountants and the managers our, our guy uh he would have to rein paul in because yeah paul would Paul would spend $10 million. He didn't care. And just as long as the show was amazing. And uh, that's, that's, that was his whole thing. He wanted, to, he wanted people to see a show and go back and tell their friends and bring their friends back next year. And that's what they did. I mean, we were allowed. And, and he knew that the production value could help him achieve that. Yes, exactly. And he was really big on the production value of it. You know what I mean? He really, uh, I mean, there were times where there would be times where the keyboard player would be playing something. He goes, Oh yeah, no, 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 don't worry about it. I said, but I said, but she's playing the part. He goes, Oh yeah, he goes, don't care. It doesn't matter. Here you go. Let's put, I want you to do this and put a light up in the air. And sometimes I would have to rein him and I was like, okay, Paul, listen, you know, she is playing the part. We need to light her up just a little bit, you know? And, uh, and it was great because he would, he didn't like spotlights and neither did I. Right. You know, so, uh, I never, I never used the spotlights that much with TSO, uh, which it kind of gave a little bit more drama, and a little bit more uh, a mood, you know. I, I use them where I have to, you know what I mean. When these guys come out into the audience, you know, I have to use the spotlights, you know what All I right. mean. Or, or if there's a, a if they're a predominant singer singing a certain number and everything, you know. But a lot of the a lot of the times, I, I don't have to use the spotlights. Uh, cool. Did you uh, find Paul, or did Paul find you? Well, uh, the way I felt with Paul was. Uh, I used to work for, I started out my career uh, with uh, Joan Jett. And there, was, there was a guy who worked with Joan Jett. Uh, his name's Elliot Saltzman. He still works for TSO. So we, me and him, uh, we worked together with Joan Jett. I started like in 85. 
uh, and we worked there. I worked there for about 10 years. Then I went to a bunch of other bands, whatever. But then I came back, and when he started doing this, and he came up with this music for TSO, uh, you know, he, he had called, he got Elliot because he knew Elliot from the office too with Joan Jett. And uh, because Paul worked in that same office, but he worked for Lieber Krebs, which managed Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Def Leppard, ACDC, you know, a ton of bands. So the offices was in, together. So that's where I met Paul because I was working with Joan Jett. And then when, and, and then I did a bunch of Paul's bands in the late 80s, like Heaven. There was another band, uh, Zig Zig Spudnik, uh, Slow Burn he had. Uh, a couple of these bands. And now I was starting out my career anyhow. So, uh, and then Sabotage. That's right, Sabotage. Uh, I worked for them in the late 80s and they later became TSO. So working with, working with Sabotage in the, uh, in the kind of late 80s is where I met Paul. And we, we did all that stuff with Sabotage and Heaven. Then when TSO came around in 2000 or 99, uh, Paul called me. Yeah, and he said, you know, hey, you know, you were always my most favorite lighting guy. And we, we used to do all these sh uh, shows in clubs in New York. You know Martin Thomas? You must know Martin. I'm aware of him, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, and he was one of those guys who used to supply all the local production for me for these clubs. And when we would do these clubs, Paul would be going like, fill the whole place up with lights, floor to ceiling. I want more lights than we can get in there. And Martin worked for a company uh, uh, out in New Jersey. He used to bring tons of ACLs. We'd put them in these clubs, and uh, it was pretty awesome. But when TSO came around, you know, he said, uh, he said, you were always my favorite light guy you know he goes i got this i got this thing you know listen to the music and then when i said once i listened to the music i was going wow i said you know i said paul this is just perfect for the lights he goes i know it's all for the lights you know and uh uh and then we did it and then uh, you know the first year was a little tricky with tso uh because paul was really an old school guy and I was too, uh, as well, but I had it adapted into the moving lights, right? And Paul was really still on the park hands, you know, the ACLs and that, you know. So at the very beginning of TSO, this is when it was at the beginning, I had to go from the moving lights and kind of explain to him. And, uh, and then he had to kind of get the vibe on the moving lights. And, and we still had ACLs and still had park hands back then, but we finally, uh, we finally phased those things out. The TSO music just lends itself to the lights. I would imagine that it was it was a fairly easy sell to like, hey, look, we need more production value. Uh, you know, yes, I mean, I, exactly. And when we started out, we were small. We were one truck and a couple buses, one truck of production, right? So we were playing mm -hmm. really small places. And it was like from that year to the second year, okay, well, you know, it did good. Paul's went like, you know, I want more, I want more. So we go to two trucks. You know, and then uh, next year would have been three trucks, four trucks or whatever. And then it started getting up there. And we're, now we're kind of like at 20 trucks. That's that's where we're at for about the probably past, nah, I'd say past 10 years. We've been uh, we've been 10 trucks. So but uh, I don't know if anybody's listening who knows exactly how intensive the TSO tour is now, but there's a blue and a red and it's so there's two tours of 20 trucks. Is that accurate? Yeah, it was an east and a west. Yes. So it's the East Coast and the West Coast. And we've been like this the whole time, 2020, except for the very first year. But uh, for the past uh, 21 years, it's been two, two tours and it's been it's been an East and a West. And okay. uh, 
we rehearsed uh, for maybe the past 12 years in Omaha, Nebraska, right? And we set up both tours, right? We set up the East Coast on one end of the building, you know, West Coast at the other end of the building, right? And uh, so I have both of the rigs in there. And uh, it is it, really, <laughs> really, anybody who's done a TSO tour uh, and actually experienced uh, uh, Omaha and all that stuff knows that it's just a very unique and uh, uh, amazing uh, situation. You know, there's nothing else like, the, uh, like it out there uh, that we do, you know, especially with the two tours and rehearsing there in Omaha for two and a half weeks you know, it's really great. You know, the East Coast band plays for like, you know, three days or whatever. And then the West Coast band will play for three days. And then when they're not on the main stage, they're back in a rehearsal room. So, uh, and then I, I, you know, I had that whole period, uh, you know, I usually tweak stuff, you know, I'll move some things around, stuff like that, and, and really kind of refine my design. How often are you out on the tour? Are you doing the matinee and the evening show? Oh, I do the tour. I've always, I've always done the tour. Do you do the uh, so east or the west? I do the east. And okay. I've always done the east, and I and I do the east a little bit before because, like Elliot, uh, our tour director, uh, you know, we spend so much time with TSO, uh, with uh, with TSO, and, but with Joan Jett too as well. So we have a long history of working together. So uh, he does the east as well. So we we've always always done the east. But oh, oh, one thing, back on what you were saying about the music and everything for that, you know, <clears throat> over the years, uh, once Paul, once kind of we got going about 10 years into it, you know, Paul, would they, he would do these records and he would literally come in and tell me, Brian, you're going to love this song, uh, 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 whatever the song was. Uh, it's, it's totally, he goes, I totally wrote it for your lights. You know, he goes, and, and you can just tell all that stuff just with the accents and everything that, uh, like I said before, he was just so into the production, you know, he would write songs, you know, uh, that could go with the lights, you know what I mean? That would be good for a lighting song and everything. So what a great situation to be in. It sounds like you just have kitchen sink, carte blanche. You get to do whatever makes things bigger and therefore better. You know what? It, it, it really is. And, I, and I'm very fortunate, too, as well, that, you know, Paul, uh, Paul loved me enough to really just let me, because I basically designed the whole thing, you know, and then I present him with a movie uh, of, of, the sh uh, of the stage and everything with the camera going around. They're pretty elaborate movies. And, uh, uh, and then he just looks at it and he's going, like, Brian, he goes, that is fucking God. And I'm going, okay, he goes, that's fucking God. He goes, let's fucking do this. And then when you do that, right, that's how it went so many times. Paul would look at it and go, fucking A, that's God, let's fucking do it. Boom. We would literally go from there into, all right, uh, talking with the production guys, Jimmy and Jeff, getting, uh, uh, getting it sorted out, how to build it, how to do package it, and how's the pack of the trucks and, and all that stuff. And we would do it. You know, and we would do it. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. And then, you know, Paul's, Paul's electric energy too, as well, you know, to even after I do the design, once we get into rehearsals, you know, you know, he loved doing shit like, you know, okay, Brian, listen, 
the, the beginning, I want just the lasers to come on. That's why Paul, I said, we, we, uh, I said, what, are you crazy? You know, he goes, yes, I am. And uh, he goes, but no, I want lights, you know, and uh, he would always come up with some things. Some things were very wacky sometimes, but some things he came up with uh, just worked perfectly. And, uh, uh, you know, I got to give him a lot of credit having everything that's going on in his head uh, still be able to con uh, concentrate on the lighting and the production of it. Were you always doing a matinee and an evening show? Uh, you know, I think we did it the first year that we toured, uh, I th but not the whole tour. I think we just did maybe a, a couple of shows. And then I think after that, yeah, they just started doing matinees. Uh, so we've always done matinees. That's got to make for a very long day for you. Well, you know, you, you'd be surprised. And anybody who's done a TSO tour would definitely agree with me on this, that you know, once you get there, you kind of get started and, you know, you get everything in a groove and everything. And, uh, you know, you do a, a, a long, a long, a long week, you know, because you'll play uh, a show on Wednesday, a show on Thursday, two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. Right. Wow. So by the end of that, you know, that's saying that's eight shows in the, uh, in the five days which is pretty intense. But once you do that for a couple of weeks and then you kind of get into the last part of the tour and we still play these single show, single, single show days, they almost feel like they drag on. And then everybody's going, I just, I just <laughs> do the two shows a day, you know, cause you know, they, they, uh, they cash everybody out with a, a good little chunk of change for each matinee. You know, so at this point, you know, people are making money doing the matinees. It feels like it does go by so much quicker because when we have a, a single show day, uh, yeah, you know, it seems like we got so much time in the afternoon when usually we'd be doing a show. That sounds like a lot of hot and fast money, just kind of getting in there, smashing you know, the piggy bank and getting out of there. You know what? It's hitting it hard and fast for a short amount of time, you know, is mind you, you know, the tour at the, at the longest we've done, it was probably uh, eight weeks, you know, but we do three weeks of production rehearsals, you know, so that's, that's about the length of it. Uh, but uh, it's still, you know, it's, it's hard, fast and heavy there. And, uh, you know, rolling in with 20 trucks, you know, uh, rolling in on a Friday morning and uh, whatever, Pittsburgh setting up, you do two shows you break it all down. You travel to uh, Pittsburgh so, or, or Philadelphia or whatever, and you load in that morning and you do another two shows that day, and then you move to another place. And, uh, you know, there's been times, too, where we've had long drives, bad weather, and sometimes on those double show days, we get there like 7.30 in the morning, right? And we still mm -hmm. do a show at 3 o'clock or 3.30. And uh, uh, mind you, some of those times we'll, we'll try to do a pre-rig if it's, if it's something like that. But uh, still, I mean, to roll these 20 trucks in and out every day is just absolutely amazing to see. It's like a, it's like a machine and it's like a small city, you know, but this stuff gets set up at six in the morning, boom, you know, tore down and we're on the road usually sometimes by midnight, 1230. Because we do a show seven thirty or eight, and it's just us. It's just two and a half hours. So, does that suit your lifestyle? Are you a, a hot and fast sort of guy? Are you, uh... you know what? Yes, I, I do like that, and I, you know, I find it like, 
you know, now, like even this time where I have the time off or I had a bit of time off even last year too as well going, like, oh, wow, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm so used to, uh, I'm so used to being on the road because, you know, I spent, you know, I spent 15 years with KISS. You know, I, I feel like with TSO, I feel like with TSO, TSO has overshadowed my other cool things like my 15 years with KISS, you know, and I did it probably about, uh, about five years with Motley Crue. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I did a, a couple years, I think probably about three years, three and a half years with Aerosmith. You know what? All those were great, but I, I tell you, I, I feel like I'm really getting notice uh, uh, for TSO more than anything. You know what I mean? So. Well, I hope that anybody listening is not uh, forgetting that uh, Brian Hartley's list is very long. It's Marilyn Manson, Motley Crue, Nine Inch Nails, Alicia Keys, Dream Theater, Velvet Revolver, Limp Bizkit, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, it's a, it's a laundry list of clients. Yeah, you know what? It is, it is pretty awesome. I'm pretty, uh, pretty lucky to be able to have to work for all the bands that I work with. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. And it's not just uh, that you're a one-trick guy. I mean, your your client list is very diverse. I mean, all the way from Pantera to, uh, man, I want to say Alicia Keys, if I remember sure. right. Sure, yeah, Alicia Keys or like, uh, you know, Trisha Yearwood. You know, I, I did her for uh, about a year and a half uh, when I was living in Nashville, and she was awesome, man. Uh, she was really, really cool, man. And, uh, and I, I was going to kiss after I left her, and she made an announcement on the stage saying that, you know, hey, I just want to say goodbye to our light guy. He's getting ready to go work with uh, uh, somebody who wears a lot of makeup and high heels, and it's not Dolly Parton. It's, it would be Kiss. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty cool. And then, you know, I worked for another country band, too, as well. They were uh, – it was Tracy Lawrence, and the same thing. I was leaving him to go to Kiss, and uh, and the, what they did, they played the whole show, and then at the end of the show, they went off for the encore, and then four guys in the band came back out with Kiss masks, and they played like rock and roll all night over the PA, and these guys are acting like they were Kiss or whatever. <laughs> of course, the crowd was going like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And then Tracy <laughs> came out and said, "Hey, I just want to say goodbye to our our guy Brian. He's getting ready to go uh, back with Kiss or whatever. So we want to say goodbye to him. So that was pretty fun." So one of the things you mentioned is that you do basically your own version of a previs rig. You do a movie. Is that how you sell yourself, or is that just something that you do? For your own good to kind of solidify the, your creative ideas well you know yeah it's, it's just a platform to be able to express what i want to do i mean and i've been doing these uh, uh these movies like this with tso oh my god probably 20 years you know i used to do it in 3d studio for years and uh and now i switched over to cinema 4d and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it's just the best way. I mean, it's the best way to be able to show off your design and explain what you, uh, and it's impressive too, as well. I mean, the yeah. movies, I can pay, post whatever video I want on the screens. I can make the stage as it's going to be, you know, and I got the drums and band gear up there, microphones and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you see it nowadays, uh, uh, it's become pretty, uh, standard sort of, or a, mm -hmm. a lot of people do it's, it's easier to do these days, you know? Uh, but I've been doing that 20 years. It wasn't so easy to do 20 years ago. You know, you had no, to, uh, no, it wasn't program and you had to know, you know, you had to learn it and all stuff. And it wasn't like it is 
nowadays where, you know, my God, if you want to play guitar, you can YouTube and fucking figure out how to play guitar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, is the access to the information is uh, so much e easier these days and the technology is getting better and better, you know? So yeah. uh, my movie that I do, it's pretty awesome. I have to say, like I said, I do it in cinema 4d. So that's where I'll design the show or whatever. And I'll put all the lights everywhere and then I'll put video on the screens and then I'll, I'll do a camera and I'll do a camera zooming up to the stage, maybe going across the front of the stage, going up in the air, maybe 10 feet and then going across the stage again. So you can really see the stage and everything It's 3d and it's animated and it looks amazing. I mean, it really looks like the real thing. Uh, to a certain extent, you know, that's, that's a good, that's, uh, that's how I've always kind of presented my design. So having such a diverse clientele, do you find you have to hold their hands differently? Do you have to sell them on bigger ideas with different, using different tools? Yeah. You know, I find that, you know, the bigger bands, you know, like even with Kiss, you know, uh, you know, I would go to them with the uh, design and, and they were a bit into it, you know, uh, uh, you know, but they kind of let me do what I do. They each had their own uh, uh, kind of opinions on what happened, usually if it was relating to them. Is, is really how kids kind of worked out. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, and you know, sometimes, some, sometimes they don't even care, you know, like, you know, Velvet Revolver I did, you know, nobody there really, uh, really kind of cared about what the show looked like or, or whatever. The, the singer, uh, uh, Scott Weiland, he was, uh, uh, he was a little wacky sometimes, but when he was straight and he was on any drugs, he was pretty awesome dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he treated me pretty good, and I, I I even went to his house a couple of times uh, in California, uh, and uh, that was that was kind of cool. And when I when I and I knew a, a little bit before before because I, when I worked for Megadeth in the late '90s or early '90s, Stone Temple Pilots uh, was one of our opening acts. So I got in cases like that. I would imagine it's not the the movies that you're making. It's the reputation. It's the Brian Hartleyness that you have projected, they're like, oh, well, that's clearly the guy that we want to make our show look the way it should look. True. It's, you it's know, your I, reputation I, I, I think, you. I, you know, I think when I do meet with these artists and everything, they get a vibe that, you know, hey, I'm, I, I really enjoy what I do. And obviously I've got all the uh, uh, pictures and the, uh, and the resume and everything to kind of back it up uh, to be there. So, but I think, uh, you know, once they meet me, they, they, they feel like with my personality that, Okay, yeah, this guy's got it. And, and sometimes, you know, people don't even meet me and uh, they see my work first and then they come up to me and uh, I've never met them. They're going, like, dude, it's awesome. This stuff you're doing is great. And I was going, okay, cool, I like that. When they, when they actually see what you're doing and they're like, whatever that guy is doing, he needs to be part of our team. Let's, let's go get that guy. That's got to yeah, be a good yeah, feeling. Well, you know, I, I did get uh, – well, and, you know, I, Lenny Kravitz, you know, he's the guy who sought me out uh, – uh, because I did lights for a kiss and he called me and I was very uh, surprised to uh, talk to him on the phone like that. Uh, I was, I was actually with Limp Biscuit at the time and I was in Europe and uh, Lenny Kranz called me and said, uh, you know, are you the, you're like guy for kiss, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he's going, did you do this video? The, uh, this, uh, the orchestra, we did an orchestra thing in Australia, whatever, a big stadium show. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he designed all the lights and everything. I said, yeah, I was pretty much a production designer of the stage and everything. And he's going, yeah. He goes, all right, dude. He goes, yeah, I want you to work for me. So uh, I, I did a couple of years with Lenny Kravitz. And uh, it was absolutely uh, awesome. And uh, and he 
he he loves Kiss. He was a big Kiss fan. And then he then he actually asked me about the sound guy. Who's the sound guy? And uh, that was uh, at the time it was Lori Quigley. And uh, he contacted Lori, and uh, boom, Lori's been there ever since we got the gig. We got the gig in probably 2005 with Lenny Kravis, and I was there for like probably two years uh, uh, until I had to go to do TSO until the uh, the uh, schedules conflicted, and then I had to go back to TSO, and then he didn't want anything to do with me after that. But uh, that's all right. And but Lori's still been there the whole time. Because Lenny Kravis is very cool because he, he pays his guys uh, all year round. You know what? He pays a retainer. So you're his guys. So when, he, when you work for Lenny, he really wants you to uh, be his guy, you know, okay. and, and do that and not run off and do other things and stuff like that. So I, I, I somewhat understand that. I was uh, disappointed because I love Lenny Kravis and the music was amazing. And it was just a great artist to work for. And, you know, it's always great when you can work with bands that you really truly like and you enjoy their music. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the cream of the crop right there when you can, you know, like Kiss. I mean, I work for Kiss. Mm -hmm. uh, Kiss was the band I, I, I listened to when I was uh, just starting, you know, 15, 16 years old. And I thought Kiss was amazing. <laughs> and they they still are, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I'm, I'm glad later on that I got to go to work for them and then go to work for Motley Crue and Aerosmith, Lenny Kravis, you know, all this stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, I find to be very lucky on all that. When that decision presents itself and you have to decide between Lenny Kravitz and TSO, is it the music? Is it the workflow? Is it the money? Is it the creativity? What's... What goes on the pros and cons list there when you have to choose your clients? Well, for one, for the past 20 years uh, with TSO, I've always been there for TSO. There was one year where I was doing Kiss, and it was Kiss Aerosmith, and uh, they flew me back and forth <clears throat> from Kiss. I mean, I, I think I flew 31 days, 31 days uh, out of like 40 days, right? I flew every wow. day. Yeah, because Kiss, were, we were touring with Aerosmith, so it would be – Kiss Aerosmith show, and then there will be two days off, and then a Kiss, uh, another Kiss Aerosmith show, two more days off, right? So I was able to kind of, I ended up missing like you know four or five Kiss shows, and I missed maybe like four or five TSO shows, so it kind of worked out. Uh, but then after that, you know, I, I just always, uh, I was always there for TSO. It just, it just made sense to me because I felt like I'm lucky enough to be able to have that creatively to be able to do what I've been, what I'm able to do creatively with TSO, even though TSO is not in the mainstream though, in, in a way. So that's, that's the, that's the thing I give up a little bit. TSO you know, working for TSO is not like working for Kiss or, or the Rolling Stones or, or Motley Crue or that, that work to where the, the band is really famous for who they are. You know, TSO is really more famous for the production value, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, and the music. So, you know, that plays a part into me, too, as well, that I, I, I'm able to, you know, have that creativeness in a pretty cool fashion. And, and, and now that TSO has gotten more popular and people see it, you know, I do get... I get noticed a lot for uh, for TSO, but 
you know, everything, like you said, it's a, a little combination of everything, uh, less about the money, more about the creativity of it. And uh, it's just very consistent. It's every single year, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, that's, it's very consistent. And I, and I do a different design every year. A lot of these bands do not do that. You know, they, a band like Kiss, you know what? They'll do one design, you know, they'll tour for maybe two years or something like that. Then they'll take a year off, maybe do an album, then come back and do another tour. You know, right there, you know, you're looking at like, you know, four or five years, maybe you get two designs out of it. You know, here is consistently a new design every year. And it's completely different design every year. And they're the same songs. The people that come year after year after year, there's the songs that they want to hear because those are the TSO songs. Then they, yes, maybe and, they want the same songs, but they don't want to see the same thing that they've seen year after year. Well, that's and it's, that's kind of I don't know if it was really done on purpose like that, but it was just kind of evolved in the fact that the first 13 years we did uh, with TSO, it was the same story. So you know, there's a story, right? So it was the same story, same songs for that first you know hour and a half. And then for the next hour after that is kind of like the rock and half, if you will. And that changes a little bit, but still a lot of it's the same, you know? So yes, a lot of the music has been the same uh, for all these years, but they're very uh, strong TSO uh, uh, staples that, that it's kind of like Christmas. You know what is you can play them every year and they're not going to get old, but they do do uh, new songs here and there. Uh, so it's not completely no new music, you know, so they, they've had new music over the past 20 years. Uh, but the core part of the show, even to this date is really, uh, uh, has been consistent over these 20 something years. I would imagine that that's very taxing or even exciting for you just having to really dig deep and redesign the same song over and try and find new meaning and new, new, new kicks and new, well, new gags and these songs. And I would imagine even technology, you have to find, you have to just change the cues with new technology in each song. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what drives it obviously is, is the, uh, the technology and what I can do, uh, what I can do to kind of make the song look different because yeah, like, uh, like I was saying last year, I was like, man, I said, you know, I say everybody's coming up to me saying, you know, hey, this is the best one yet. And luckily, I have had that for the past 22 years, right? They always say it's better than the year before, whatever, uh, which is good. Uh, and then last year, they were going like, yeah, this is the best one ever. You know, what are you going to do next year? I said, oh, I don't even know yet. I said, I have to, I, it has to evolve in my head and all that stuff. And, uh, and but it's got to be, this, it's got to be totally different, you know, spectacular, um, bigger than ever and everything and different, but the music's going to be the same, you know? So, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know it is tricky, but I feel like I've, I've got enough, uh, I've got a good connection with TSO and all this time that I spent here that, uh, uh, it kind of comes natural at this point because yeah, I, I am doing the same and I'll use some of the same video content sometimes, uh, year over year. But even with that, you know, I'll get to a point where, okay, you know what here, I've been using the same video footage for 10 years. Okay. Let's change. Okay. We change mm-hmm. it. You know what? you know what, actually the old video actually looks better. So let's go back to the old one, you know? So uh, I do try to change it up. And, but sometimes, you know, sometimes when you do these videos, it just works <coughs> for the video and uh, it just have to, I just go with it. 
you know, the, the whole light, the lighting design is different. The screens are set up different and everything. So it is still different, but sometimes some of the video content uh, I will use year after year because uh, it's just one of those things that it, it couldn't be any more better than it is right there. Yeah. What was the first year that you added video to the TSO tour? You know, I tried, I tried about the third year. About the third year, I tried this. So they had uh, TSO had this one song that was from uh, uh, from uh, what's the uh, the Grinch with uh, Jim Carrey, right? Okay. Oh, this is great! I said they're doing a song. This I said this is gonna be great. So I went and uh, uh, I wanted a, a projection screen. I wanted a screen to come down in the front, and I was put a projection on there. And what I did is I took their song and I, and I edited a video with the Jim Carrey uh, uh, Grinch and the original Grinch, the animated one, right? So I edited them both together to the song that TSO played and. Uh, it was just, it was absolutely awesome. Uh, but uh, Paul, it, for some reason, didn't didn't really latch onto the video until a couple years later. So I was a little bit uh, a little bit early for it. But uh, <laughs> my Grinch video with the song was just absolutely incredible. I, I, I love that one so because it just fits so much. And then obviously later on, I found out he hated that song and uh, he didn't even want to be in the movie or some shit like that. Uh, not not that he didn't <laughs> want to be. I, I think he just he, he didn't like the song or something was something like that which uh is uh, is what threw him off but uh but it was oh, awesome. that, and then that I saw a... video video a couple years later but it was really just i had to start off with uh, abstract of it you know what i mean where you know it would just be fire you know lightning snow you know uh, rain and, and stuff like that that's really what i did the first couple years with tso with the video because i, I didn't have a, uh, a standard big video screen in the middle we haven't got there yet so right. it was really like outlining the trusses or or covering the face of the trussings with the video and and playing stuff like that just making it texture and stuff like that but as we got as we got going on there you know obviously everything changed i i, I designed this castle that was uh, it was a real castle and we projected upon it. It's about 2000. It was about 2013, I think it was. And uh, this was back there where everybody was projecting mapping on buildings and everything. And uh, you know they were making the buildings fall down with just the projection on there. You know all that stuff. It was just crazy stuff going on. And I was going like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. So uh, I I designed the castle, and then we projected upon it with projectors and. Uh, and some of the projection stuff that we did on there just looked amazing. And you couldn't tell it wasn't real. You really could almost walk up and touch the, uh, touch the, the, the face of the uh, castle. And you're going, is that real? And, you know, cause I had my buddy go and take, uh, 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 I wanted the castle to look like a Notre Dame. So I had to find a, a model of a Notre, Notre Dame, right? Model. Mm-hmm. And he made it on my castle and uh, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. It, it looked, it looked amazing. It looked, it didn't look like Notre Dame, but it had all the Notre Dame architecture on there. And, uh, and it just, it, it, the, the projection upon the castle and having it break apart and fall down and uh, all that kind of stuff was just awesome. That was some of the, uh, the coolest stuff I think I've done. That sounds like a, a long progression from the Grinch video on a projector and screen yeah. to a projection mapped castle. Oh, yeah. That sounds like uh, the 
the overlying story of the whole TSO thing is just try a kernel of something that's interesting and then double it, triple it, quadruple it, just keep making it bigger. Yeah, and push it all to the limits. You know, it's like, you know, uh, they were talking the other day when we were talking about our, our the placement of the trusting. Because, well, you know, if you look at there, it's only like, it's only about four inches in our production measure. Oh, that's cool. That's about what it usually is between everything. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you haven't been able to accomplish yet that you're really looking to push in the next two or three years? No, I, I not, there's not nothing that I have, you know, I usually kind of ins- get inspired to do things, you know, like just like the projection mapping, you know, I see in all these buildings and everything, I said, ah, that pushed me to that, you know, and then, uh, the year after that, uh, you know, that was, uh, uh the year after that we changed our story. And uh, it was from another album, right? And it was called The Christmas Attic. And on the album cover was this girl looking into an album, looking into a toy box, right? If you will, right? So I had to come up with the plan for the, the, the year, the, the, the design and everything. And I was in Australia, so I stayed in Australia three extra days so I could just look at this album cover. And I looked at that album cover for a couple of days while enjoying Sydney, Australia, of course that uh i came up with a toy box right this girl was looking in the toy box right on the album mm-hmm. cover right it's called the christmas attic okay cool so i made a toy box on stage right and that's where the band was they were inside this toy box right and this toy box would open up right and inside the lid of the toy box was the video screen, right? And then once that opened up, then the drums, the keyboard, and the little orchestra over there, they would all three rise up from inside the toy box. And there you go. I mean, I, I have to say the toy box thing was just absolutely amazing. If you ever get a chance to go look at it online, uh, it's just, it was very, and it, it, you know, the whole thing for me was because it was on the album cover, you know, then when I turned the stage into the, because I showed a movie before and the curtains were closed. I showed this movie, this anime movie going in the house, going up to the attic, all the way at the end of the attic, there was this toy box sitting there. So it goes, the camera goes to the toy box, toy box opens up, bright light lights up all the video in white. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Actually lighted up in, uh, in red because Paul always hated white. Uh, so it came up in red, whatever. And then, then, then those video panels moved out of the way and this red curtain raised up to show the real toy box there. And everybody's going like, what the fuck? This fucking toy box there. And then the toy box then opens up you know and then the uh the band comes up uh, from inside of it and then we start the show and it was uh one of my favorite things too the castle the toy box is pretty cool that sounds spectacular i will definitely find the video and i if i can find it i will link it in the notes uh, yes exactly that's uh that's pretty cool and uh but you know i mean having said that i have to say last couple years uh, uh i i did this theater with this theater marquee where the drums, the keyboard and the orchestra thing, or not the orchestra, but uh, the bass player was over there was on, they played on the marquee of the theater. Right. And uh, when we played the songs, the theater, the, the marquee would be down. You wouldn't know it was a theater, but when we do the narrations, that whole marquee that they were on rose up and then behind, uh, behind it, there was a set of doors and windows, the fascia of the, uh, of the uh, uh, theater. And the narrator would come out the door of the theater, right? And I have this whole movie 
going down the street and then as you're going down the street you look far down the street you see this old theater and the theater is getting closer and you're going like oh wow this cool looking theater and as the theater gets closer and closer next thing you know that that marquee kind of rises up a little bit to, to display the doors and boom that's the scene that's in front you're standing in front of the theater and then the uh the narrator comes out the theater doors and, uh, uh, and then he does his narrations uh, 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 in front of the theater. And that's, that's the, the theater one was pretty cool, too. If anybody saw that, they'll, they'll tell you that was amazing. <laughs> it sounds you. like it was I your... It. <laughs> it sounds like it was your big ideas and your creativity that moved you past lighting designer all the way to production designer. It sounds like it was your progression. It sounds like you're the one that put yourself into the production designer role. You know what, that did, that really, yeah, the production manager role just kind of evolved as lighting designers, uh, you know, had more control of the video. And then all of a sudden, you know, well, there's nobody really doing the set, so I might as well do everything. And so it just really kind of evolved like that more than anything. So I think usually most production designers probably come from a lighting world. I agree. I think there's a lot of people that aren't quite – uh, willing or interested in taking on that 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 larger responsibility or that larger role, so they they maintain lighting designer, but when they have the vision to like, no, I want the video to do this and I want the stage to do this all at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of you just take that production designer role. Yes, exactly. That's how it was for me. I, I mean, I just really kind of just fell right into it and it just it seemed right because I was controlling the video, you know, actually back mm -hmm. then I was kind of controlling the lasers too as well. Uh, now we got time code and everything like that. So that runs a lot of my, uh, uh, my chunk of my stuff, even though having said that with TSO probably, you know, probably about 80% of this, uh, uh, of the lighting part is manual. Wow. That is one heck of a show to be running manual. You know why? Because uh, uh, really what it is for me more than anything is like I'm a lighting guy and it's the connection with the music and me running the board. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's that's what I like more than anything else, you know, is just the, the, the connection between me running the lights and the music and just the creativity because uh, especially with TSO, it's a big show there. You know, my guy who runs it for me on the, uh, uh, on the West coast, you know, you know, he has the, he's been there so long that I, I hardly even show him what I'm doing. He kind of knows how I run it, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, that that that's pretty cool. And and it's just I, osmosis. Yeah, I'm sure he would probably rather if I had it all on time code. He could sit back and just uh, <laughs> relax and whatever. But I, I feel like that he he likes to run it too as well. Even though I I leave a little bit of fluctu uh, fluctuation for him, you know, to get out there when he gets out there. You know, you know some of the some of the time code songs that are very precise. Like the time code runs all the video for sure, because you can mm -hmm. never be able to uh, kind of connect that, get that video on that kind of frame accuracy uh, with, right. uh, with manually. Yeah. The lighting, uh, lighting, yes, you, you, you can, and that's easier to, uh, uh, to run and to be able to enjoy it because I, I enjoy running lights. So we're, we're running a little low on time, but one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, and this comes up, I get a lot of questions about this and they ask if it's better to be very close with your artist or if it's better to have a buffer between them and you be a, a worker 
uh, boss relationship or is it better to be best friends with your clients? Which one do you prefer? Well, that's definitely, I, I would say definitely not that, you know, you don't want to be <laughs> best friends with these guys because, you know, a lot of these people, you know, are, are, are really, really on a, uh, another level, if you would say, especially when it comes to money, you know, whatever. But, uh, but no, I think it's, I think you, you definitely have to keep it professional, you know, and each artist is a little different. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, even with Kiss, you know, you want to, uh, uh, you know, I would never really deal with them unless I had to, or unless they wanted me to, you know what I mean? So uh, a lot of times with Kiss, I remember there was one time where I, I, I stayed, I was under the radar for about two weeks and I was like, ah, oh, you know, I haven't even, haven't seen Gene at all. I haven't made eye contact with him in two weeks. And then obviously something goes wrong and then they call me in and they're all yelling at me, but uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, you got, you got it. And it's, and it's good, but you're, if you're a lighting guy, cause you do have a little bit of a buffer because you're, you're, uh, you're, you're in front of house, you know, uh, because mm -hmm. I, I would hear sometimes from sometimes with the stage guys, like with Megadeth, they go, what the fuck is Brian doing out there? You know, whatever, when it comes to spotlights or something like that. And then I see him after the show and he's going, yeah, it's cool. Hey, good show. No problem. <laughs> and never say anything to me, you know, it's one of those things that we, as a, as an employee, we have to be very aware because sometimes it's easy to fall in the trap of, well, no, no news is good news or no critiques is, is good. But at the same time, you have to be aware as if, if you're ignoring your client, you know, like, well, I haven't heard from him in two weeks. Maybe that means everything's good. Well, you know, I tell you what, uh, a guy is tricky like that is, and, and you know, and it's easy can, uh, to get pulled in as, uh, uh, as a friend and all that stuff is uh, Steven Tyler, right? So I, I did Aerosmith for a couple of years and, uh, oh man, he was all over me, man. Because he, he had came and sang with TSO, right? So he came and sang with TSO. Uh, they had got because the guy Paul O'Neill uh, used to work with Aerosmith or whatever. So he got Stephen to come and sing a song. But before that, Stephen called me right on the phone. Right, well, who is the, whatever I said, and it was Stephen Tyler. And I was like, okay, cool. And he goes, dude. He goes, do you do this lines for TSO? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, you know, blah, blah blah. I've been doing it here for whatever ten years, whatever, whatever it was. He goes, dude, you're doing lines for fucking Aerosmith. I was like, okay. I said, well, that's cool. I said, uh, I said, well, I'll see you when you get here. I said, you know, we'll, we'll chat. I, I said, I've been trying to work for Aerosmith for twenty years, so maybe it'll happen. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, and then, uh, then he came and did the show and then he came and did the show, man. He just, uh, he just latched right onto me and, uh, you know, they sent from the, they're going, Steve wants to see you now. And then I walk in dressing and he goes, what the fuck? And I was going, uh, I says, cool. I said, you, you have a good time. Uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, the fucking lighting. He goes, I've been trying to get guys to do that for 20 years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's a good goes, feeling. He goes, that's just amazing. He goes, you're doing lights for Aerosmith. And I was like, that's cool. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I used to work for Kiss and I did Kiss Aerosmith. I said, I worked for uh, Motley Crue. We did Kiss Aerosmith. Joan Jett, I did that. And then I told him, and then also I told him, I said, ah, I said, I also worked for Megadeth. And as soon as I said that, he kind of just perked up. He goes, can you fucking believe that guy? Because when I was with Megadeth and we opened up for Aerosmith, uh, 
Dave Mustaine says something on the radio, like, "Yeah, we're 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 with Aerosmith. They're they're kind of too old to do something." He kind of made a comment <laughs> like that. So uh, when they came there that afternoon, we'd only did like two or three shows, right? With Aerosmith with Megadeth, and when Aerosmith came there, they were going, like, "Oh yeah, you know what? Hey, you, you guys are off the tour. We were done. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took." Yeah, but Stephen loved uh, that I worked with Megadeth, and he, he, we got to talk about that story. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he's he's a tricky one, man. He he would draw you right in there, and uh, uh, yeah, he did. He had me drawn right in there, close to him, and uh, uh, and then you know those guys fight all the time, uh, Stephen and Joe and uh, uh, and Joey Kramer and all that stuff. So they were they were maniacs, but it was great. I had a good time working on. It sounds like that's an, an overlying tone or an overtone for your whole uh, career is just hot, hard, and heavy and just doing what you can to make things happen. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, I'm very fortunate to work with all the bands that I grew up liking. You know what I mean? So uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That makes a huge difference. Yep. But, uh, Thank you so I mean, much for taking the time, Brian. I really appreciate it. I, could, uh, I would much rather prefer this happen in the Circle Bar at Vegas or – for the sure. former circle bar or maybe at the double down or something, but uh, <laughs> given the restrictions, this is the best we can, we can ask for these days. Well, that's cool there, buddy. Well, I appreciate it too. I thought it was absolutely awesome. And you know, if you ever get where you want, we want to do maybe a, a video version or something. I would, uh, uh, I would love to jump in there and do that with you too as well. <laughs> 